0: Hey there, great to be speaking to you once again. My name's Matt, and if you're watching this in our showroom site, at Oasis, Ho, Clarendon Centre, or online, it's great to be bringing you the next instalment of our series, which we've called Buried. And it's really focused on the life of one of the Old Testament's most famous characters, and that's Joseph. If you missed any of the series, you can always catch up on our YouTube channel. If you have been following us for the last few weeks, you'll know we're in the point of Joseph's story where he's in a process of reconciliation with his 10 older brothers who betrayed him many years before. Now, reconciliation is a process and one that takes time. We live in a day and age where we're probably quite used to uh, apologies and sorries and words that may or may not mean very much. I think in the last few years there has been a particular rise in the awareness of non-apology apologies. You know what I'm talking about with that. Maybe you've even been in a a work meeting this week where someone has said, I'm sorry that you feel like that. (laughs) In other words, this is your issue, not my issue. It's not apology uh, at all. Or there's a very British way of saying anything to say, I'm sorry, but it's not really apologetic. Also, we have, I suppose, public apologies. Often celebrities or or politicians, they use words that kind of are close to apologies, but are not really apologies. I'm sorry if anyone was offended. In other words, saying, people out there, you're far too easily offended, that's not my problem. Or, I regret the upset this has caused. It kind of sounds like an apology, but at the same time, not actually taking any responsibility for what that person has said or done. Or perhaps a politician's favourite to comment on something by saying, mistakes were made, bearing no responsibility individually but saying, well, just a general sense, mistakes were made. We know they're not really uh, apologies at all. We live in an age of no-fault divorce, no-fault tenancy evictions, and no-fault uh, apologies. I say to my boys, I've got two boys, they say to them, no, sorry has to mean something. Sorry means you won't do it again. Is that uh, old song? Sorry seems to be the hardest word. He didn't play that one, did he? Did you watch it last week, Alan John? Didn't play that one at Glastonbury. But anyway, sorry seems to be the hardest word. If you ever have kids, I, you know that this is not true. <laughs> sorry is a very easy word to say. Sorry. It's getting them to actually mean sorry is the difficult thing. Getting them to say sorry is the easy bit. The Bible doesn't really talk much about saying sorry as just a word, but it does talk a lot about repentance. Truly being sorry, truly repenting of something involves recognizing fault, taking responsibility, but also a commitment to change and to repent, to really apologize, is to say, if you had the chance again, that you would do something different than you did or say something different than you did. And that idea is really what this passage is all about in this chapter that we're looking at today from Genesis and the life of Joseph. If you're reading it in your Bible, it'll probably have the heading, Joseph tests his brothers. What's that about? Well, in this process of reconciliation, Joseph wants to know if his brothers really are sorry if there has been any real change from the inside that has happened over the years since they betrayed him. A key event in Joseph's life is his brothers selling him into slavery. And Joseph now, in this interaction with his brothers, Many years later, have they changed? Do they regret that? Are they remorseful? Are they genuinely sorry for what they've done? So that true reconciliation can happen. And so Joseph is testing them to see what's in their heart. Let's listen to the passage now, and then we'll pull out these key themes.
1: Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my lord drinks, and by this that he practises divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup had been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servants speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. Please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father.
0: Well, if you were with us last week, we got to the end of Genesis 43, the preceding chapter to this and it ends on a very happy note we have joseph and his brothers and it says they drank and were merry together it seems it's a happy picture but as you read through the bible you know wait a minute there's several more chapters of genesis and the story of joseph still to go so this can't be the end it's like when you're watching a film or a a tv show and you realize there's about 20 minutes to go everything seems to be wrapped up But there's still 20 minutes of the program to go. like, There must be another twist in the tale. And sure enough, in this chapter, there is. And it seems, uh, at first glance, probably a bit cruel. Why is Joseph putting his brothers to the test? And particularly, it being played out on Benjamin. He's the youngest brother. He's the most innocent. He wasn't involved in the betrayal uh, of what happened before. He is the one wrapped up in this. It seems, at first glance, a bit of a cruel trick. But as I say, the testing is to see what has happened in the hearts of Joseph's older brothers. And so the application for today's messages is not that, you know, if we want to know what's in someone's heart, play a trick on them. It's to actually understand that God actually uses tests and trials in our lives to reveal our hearts to shape us even in fact this idea of testing is one that is picked up right the way through the old and the new testament when we talk about that idea of being put through a test probably instinctively we think of you know what is being tested our intellect maybe exams that we have to do for work or for sc- at school when our intellect is tested what we know or our skills how capable we are a driving test can you pass that or even um a physical endurance test these are the types of things uh, that we associate maybe <laughs> i have a flashback to uh, doing the bleep test <laughs> at school and one PE lesson most of my PE lessons were just messing about and then one day teacher comes along right we're going to do this bleep test you're going to run across the hall as many times as you can until you literally keel over <laughs> what a physical test that was but in the bible testing is not actually a testing of the mind or testing of the muscle but actually a testing of the heart in proverbs chapter 17 verse 3 it says, the crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests the heart. So this idea of testing, it's, it's linked in the Bible, it seems, with the forging of metal. Proving metal, proving its worth, proving and forging it and shaping it. And this idea, as I say, is picked up in the New Testament as well, First Peter 1 verse 7. He writes, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says it also in James chapter 1, count it all all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So when we're talking about a testing, testing that we might experience in life is is a trial. It's a difficulty. It's a furnace that reveals where our heart's at. It reveals something of our faith. But also included here is not just revealing it, but also shaping our hearts and bearing fruit. We've seen that in those verses there as well. James chapter one goes on to say, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So what we're talking about here is circumstance in our life that God uses to shape us, to strengthen our faith, and also even that he might reward us for the way that we get through it with his help and by his grace. All of us, whether we're a Christian or not, experience the difficulties of life, and we have to make sense of it one way or another. When work is tough, when maybe a partner leaves us, when our kids go off the rails, or we hit financial difficulty how are we going to navigate that how do we make sense of that and without God in the picture perhaps we just might blame the universe or just say well that's that's life that is the way it is we're all just random we can't really make sense of it but the Bible paints a different picture when it comes to understanding the difficulties that we encounter in life it's on the one hand because we live in a broken and fallen world but the difficulties in life, God can, can and does use them to shape us. To shape us for our good. That trials and testing are seasons of life that God leads us through. And we might, when we face difficulties in life, I know it's it's not easy. I'm not talking about something that's easy here. And we might get confused. About, why would God put me through such a test? Doesn't he like me? And there is some mystery in here. There's mystery in this chapter. He's like, why does Joseph play this trick in the cup? And he puts it in Benjamin's sack. And he, why does he? You need to look at this with eyes of faith. You need to look at the big picture. And so often in our lives, we are so focused in on what's in front of us. We, We fail to step back. And sometimes it can be really helpful to have other people, other Christians in our lives that help us to tell, what's God doing here? How's he shaping you? What's he want to do in your life through this trial? You're seeing it just as an annoyance, a difficulty in life. The Bible helps us and other Christian friends can help us to see that, actually, I think God's quite busy in this time. He's bringing our heart to the surface. What's going on in it? What needs to change? How is he shaping it? How is he even strengthening us as he brings us to the end of ourselves? And that's what we see in this passage. At first, why is Joseph playing a trick on his brothers like this? But Joseph, like God does in our lives, he sets up circumstances and leads them through to see what's going on in the heart. And you'll see it comes to a wonderful place. But Joseph here, he stacks the decks for his brothers. The, the, the brothers had been coming back to and from Egypt because of the famine in the land of Canaan. They, they don't know it's Joseph who's in charge of things in Egypt, but they've been coming to Egypt to get food, and they, they've had a, a bit of back and forth. And on this time, they're going back and Joseph, he gives them all the food they asked for and he gives them all their money back that they were using to pay for the food. He blesses them. He gives, he loads them up with food and with money and he sends them back to Canaan. And that's the context for this testing. Because remember, Joseph, his last experience for the 20 years ago was that these Ten older brothers, just because out of sheer jealousy of him, they took him, they threw him in a pit, and then they decided to sell him to the Ishmaelites and sent him off to Egypt. They made a few coins for their brother. Betrayed. And that's been Joseph's experience. So now, Joseph, when he sees his brothers coming to him in Egypt, he's thinking, can I trust them? Is reconciliation really Possible, And he's holding back a bit. He keeps the mask on. He doesn't reveal that of who he is to them and he's guarding his heart. And we saw a few weeks ago how the brothers seem to have said he's overheard them speaking of their remorse to some extent of what's happened in the past. But he's, he's wanting that. Is it genuine? Is there actually heart change that has happened in his brother's Or not. And so, what he does here, he sets up an opportunity for his brothers to betray the new favorite, the new favorite younger brother. It used to be Joseph, it's now Benjamin. And he's given them all this money and and all this food. And he's basically saying, it's like him saying, I'm giving you a million pounds and all you have to do is ride off into the sunset and turn your back on your brother. He sets it up to make it super easy for them. They don't even have to pull the trigger. They just have to turn their back on Benjamin so that Benjamin has to go back to Egypt and they just go off. They've not even done anything wrong against Benjamin. Can you see? Joseph's is setting up to make it easy for them to repeat the same mistake. To see, are these brothers of mine the same brothers who threw me in the pit? What are they going to do? Are they going to do the same to Benjamin? And he's almost goading them. It says there in verse 17, they sort of say, oh no, what's happened here? And we'll all come back. And, he's, and Joseph's like, no, no, only Benjamin. You can go. Go on. He's like goading him. Go on, go on betray him. What's in your heart? Are you going to do the same thing to Benjamin as you did to me? Or not? Will they or won't they? You know what? This coming back around again, the same circumstances returning in life. I've actually been a Christian long enough and been in pastoral experience long enough to know this is this is what God does in our lives. He does orchestrate events sometimes to bring us back around to a similar situation that we've experienced in the past to, to, to test us, to see where there's been growth, to see if we will trust him now if we didn't trust him before. There are repeated patterns in all you know this, if you have experienced this. I'm sure. And often it's where we've got things wrong in the past. Just like the brothers did. They choo- chose the selfish, sinful decision rather than the faith, God-honoring decision. And then later on, they get this response. And maybe we do as well. We get this uh, example, a, a, an opportunity. Are we going to repeat the same mistake? Or are, have we learned Has God shaped us? Has God done something in us since then to make us a different person that chooses faith? Which option are we gonna, are are you gonna choose that wrong relationship again that you know is not right for you? Are you gonna choose to cut that financial corner again, just like before? You know it's not right, but it's tempting, it's there. Are you going to choose to to, to lie, to save face, to avoid a confrontation? You get an opportunity. How am I going to respond to this? Am I going to sin like I did before or choose honesty? Are you going to take the easy route due to peer pressure? Or are you going to stand on your conviction and do what is right? It's actually the grace of God that he does. He brings things back around for us. To put things right. To trust him where we've not trust him, trusted him before. And it's not just, I think, in circumstance where it's we've done something wrong. Often also, it's points of decision in our lives where injustice comes into our life. Hardship there's nothing to do with our control. It just hits us. And the question before it says, how do we respond? When that friend betrays us, this is happening again. Okay. How are you going to respond this time around? You, you lose your job. I've lost my job again. Okay. How am I going to respond this time? Hitting financial hardship again. Why are things so different? Here we are again. Ill health. Oh, ill health. It's come around again. How are you gonna respond this time? God's hand's in it. God does, he brings things back around because he's at work in our lives. It's not merely that God sort of meanly inflicts suffering on us, no, what God, God is a redeemer. God is one that brings about gospel change by his love and his grace, and he's always doing work in us for our good, for his glory, and he gives us these opportunities to choose what is right and to cling to him. And so how are you going to respond in the difficulty that's before you right now? Maybe last time it was lashing out, getting angry with God, taking matters into your own hands. Did that help? Where did that lead you? Was that constructive? Or did it just lead to bitterness and further destruction in your life? What have you learned since then? What has God done in your life since then? What do you know of him now that you didn't perhaps know then? How can you trust him today in a way maybe that years ago you couldn't trust him? He's taking. God is the, the one that leads us on this journey of life. What is he doing in you right now? What is he inviting you to trust him with? Maybe in ways that you didn't trust him with before. That's a, it's a testing of God. We look at circumstances and difficulties in our lives. and just, They're just annoying. God, why are you doing this? annoying. What if it's God using this circumstance to shape your heart, to do something in you? Because there's promises in scripture that as we choose the path of faith, we've heard them already, there's fruitfulness there for us. There's strengthening there for us. God shaping us to become more like Him. He loves to do that. Because this testing seasons in our lives, it's not just testing whether there is genuine faith there. I think that's part of it. But as I've mentioned already, it forms us. Because as we get to those points of decision and as we choose to respond in faith, that builds faith. It strengthens us in God. And that's a wonderful place to be. You know, many years ago, I'll give you a very specific example here, many years ago, um, in this church, there was a, a prophetic word uh, about how this church, and particularly The gift days that we have, the gift campaigns as we call them now, would be to us like an anvil that God, and you've heard me talk about this before and others have as well, an anvil that God uses to shape us, to shape us as his people, to be a generous people, a people full of faith. Now, you know what an anvil is? It's something that metal is struck on to shape it for purpose and parting with money giving away to these gift days and all that were projects that were involved in that sort of thing it's difficult it's it's costly it's painful to do that sometimes but those costly steps are steps of faith and by choosing to go again and to give again choosing the path of generosity it changes at heart it makes us generous and many of you have stories of that in your own life where god has called you to do something that was difficult to give perhaps even financially and in a way that was costly in a way that is stretching but it's for your good it's for your blessing it's an attitude of faith it doesn't wait so we feel generous we see the big picture oh god wants not just me to give my, God wants to do something in me. He wants to make me a generous person. And that's why he's inviting me to give and to take these steps of faith. It's uh, to be a church shaped on an anvil by God for purpose, for adventure, for exploits of faith. And, you know, we've recently had, just in the last month, we've had this, gift campaign. Did you get involved in it? Did you take part? Did you see it as an opportunity for God to shape you by taking a step of space? And I know, of course, hey, we're we're in a time where everyone is feeling financially stretched. Money's tight, interest rates are going up, the cost of living, that's real. But there's two ways of looking at that. Just looking at that and saying, well, that's a reason to let this gift campaign slip me by. It's a reason not to be generous. Or with eyes of faith, it's a reason to say, wow, what an opportunity. God, God's making me anvil a bit sharper, a bit harder this time. Wow, that's because God wants to do something even greater in us. He wants to shape us even more significantly. You see, eyes of faith look upon the challenge that way around and say, "Wow, if it's more difficult, we feel more pressured to to in financially, but then we give. In that context, we give. That's going to take real faith, muscle, strength to do that. Wow, God's building that in me. Let's go then. Let's go. Because if if I if we can give when circumstances are like that, that's significant. Then I can trust God in any season." And you see that is the the eyes of faith looking at the challenges before us, looking at the circumstance of life, looking at the difficulty that we encounter. Do we shirk back and think, "Oh, this is a time to play it safe," or do you think, "This is a test from God. Am I going to respond with faith and with courage, and I'm going to put God to the test? He's testing me, while I'll put His faithfulness to the test." In response, what an opportunity! Don't waste a trial. Don't waste an opportunity to stretch faith muscles. It's what God wants to do in us. It's because He loves us. He wants to change us. And He wants us to trust Him. We can trust Him. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. We are forward slash time to plant. If you've not taken part, this is take part. Give generously. It's a wonderful place to be. We're talking here, I guess, about being in the workshop of God. We all face difficulties in our lives. What we're seeing them is, actually, I'm in the workshop of God. (laughs) He's doing something in me through this. At first, testing of God, it doesn't make too much sense. We just feel the pain and we don't see the big picture. Why is God putting me through this hardship? Why Why is God taking away this security? Why is God stretching me like this? Why is God taking me out of my comfort zone in this direction? Because he wants to make you a changed person. Because he's taking you on an adventure of faith. Counter all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces something in you. God wants to bring that about in you. Huh. He wants to do it. Are you responding in faith? Amazingly, in this Chapter We see that the brothers do, and particularly Judah. This testing has come to them. Are they going to betray Benjamin or not? They don't. They don't betray. They go back. They go back to Joseph. They go back to Egypt. They pass this test with flying colors, and Benjamin is saved. Judah, and I'll finish with this. Judah steps forward and he says, Take. Me and just even on the surface, it's a a wonderful act of heroism stepping forward for his little brother and saying, No, don't take him, take me instead. I'll be uh, a slave to you. But let's think a little bit more in detail what's going on here. Remember, Joseph is testing his brothers, Joseph is watching his brothers for their response to this circumstance. Now, remember, you might not remember this in Genesis 37, Judah was the brother who said, let's sell Joseph. Okay, they've thrown Joseph in the pit and Judah opens his mouth and says, we might as well profit from him. Let's sell him to those people. Can you? That's what Joseph has in mind in this moment when he's testing his brothers. Are you going to betray Benjamin like you betrayed me? Can you imagine with Joseph, if the, the memory of being in that pit And his older brother, Judah, is standing there. And he opens his mouth to speak. And what's he going to say? Is he going to say, let's let's take him out of this pit. Let's take him home. No, it's the ultimate act of betrayal. Oh, let's take him out and sell him. (laughs) Let's make a bit of cash for our little brother, from our little brother. That's in Joseph's mind. And now, 20 years later, it's Benjamin in the pit. (laughs) And Judah, Judah steps forward. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Is he going to respond like he responded to Joseph? Joseph's thinking that, are you going to betray again? Would you do the same that you did before? Do you Joseph is there thinking, do you regret what you did? <laughs> could you would you undo it if you could? If you had your time again, Judah, would you save me <laughs> rather than sell me? And Judah steps forward. The anticipation from Joseph, what is he going to say? And Judah says, please let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let him return with his brothers. Judah's saying it for Benjamin, but from Joseph's perspective, Joseph says, you're doing this for me. (laughs) You do love me. You have changed. I see now that if you had your time again, you would have never betrayed me. You look out for your brothers now. You sacrifice yourself for your brothers now. You're doing this for me. And this, therefore, is the wonderful moment of reconciliation. This is what the test was all about, to bring forth this love and this fruitfulness. That's what it's all about. And it's a wonderful gospel moment, isn't it? Sacrificial, laying down of a life for the other, wonderful gospel moment. Jesus Christ came into this world and walked on this earth and suffered trials of many kinds, empathizing the trials that we face in our lives. And yet he faced the ultimate test, the ultimate Trial, the ultimate act of betrayal, Jesus, the innocent man, but sentenced to death, what would he do? Would he pull back from that moment? would he save his own life, or would he step forward and, as he said, lay down his life for his friends, for his family, for his brothers. And of course, that is what Jesus has done. Died a sinner's death, condemned for the sins of the world. Faced the fiery test of God's judgment. Why? For, for your sake and for my sake. He stepped forward. He took it on. He died so that we might be forgiven and was raised up so that we might have new life in him and As we think about what Jesus has done, just like Joseph does with Judah, we look upon it and say, you're doing that for me. This sacrifice that you've given is for me. We look at it and we see Jesus and what he's done on the cross and we see, oh, you do love me. You're willing to die for me. All of us will face trials and difficulty and tests in our lives but we get through by faith in the one who loves us and has died for us who's given his life for us faced an ultimate test for our sake and he's done that for you he stepped forward for you he sacrificed his life for your forgiveness so that you can be reconciled to god what a gospel What a saviour, what a sacrifice he has made. Let's come to Jesus today, worship him, adore him and know that because he has come, died and rose again, he loves us. Amen.